song and well done thank you guys so much um, I feel like whatever happens today that was it right that was worth that was worth coming today thank you guys so much amen you know it's um, it's pretty amazing when couples get together and they stay together for say five years 10 years 20 years 30 years but when you get married and you stay together for 69 years, you've done something. And I want to wish happy anniversary to J.O. and, uh, and Alma Sue. There you are. He's out counting money. Amen. <laughs> Amen. What a testimony. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Oh, my goodness. That's astonishing. Um, being married to J.O. for 69 years. What a, that woman. God bless her. <laughs> uh, I don't think it was too hard. You know what's even more astonishing? You know, people don't sometimes uh, think about anniversaries and, and marking not just years, but decades. You know, and to celebrate that, to celebrate the relationship that you have with another person like that is just, it's a beautiful thing. It's astonishing to me sometimes how lightly people take the uh, commemoration, the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The fact is, um, you know, even some of us who believe it, some of us who have known it, it grows a little dull to what it really means. All people everywhere seem to have a find of way of making sense out of life. That's what religions and philosophies are really all about. And people look all across the range of human experience and their longing and their wondering and and just this empty place, or this, this gap that seems to be in their heart and their soul, and wonder, what, what, is, what is this about? And, and try to think of, you know, here's life's big questions, and how, how do we answer that? And you look at the way things are, and then you try to find this blanket, this big idea, this explanation that you can cover it with and go, oh, well, here's what I believe. You know, we as, as the pastors and staff here at Calvary, we're, we're trying very purposely to engage people more often in more situations and spiritual conversations. We believe that the Lord wants to bring more people into his family. And you know, one of the things in having those conversations, I hear people say, well, you know, here's, here's what I think. Here's what I believe. You ever hear that? You ever said that? I mean, the first time, I can remember some of my friends telling me about Jesus and, and just the credibility of that and, and the, the reality of who Christ was. And, and I would come back with, well, you know, what I think is, like, that's going to, you know, mean something. Well, here's what I, Dan believes, oh, okay, yeah, you can hang your hat on that. I think that's pretty secure. When you step into heaven, you know, step before the Lord and go, well, you know what, I believed. It's what I think. Who cares, right, what, what I think? But that's, that's what we do. 
We try to lay some big idea over that so we can just sort of walk away and have something. And that's what everyone tries to do. Folks, I've met people from other countries and other places and all across the U.S. and, you know, all different kind of backgrounds and people who are wealthy and people who are dead broke and people in prison and people doing well and blah, 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 you know, and on and on. I've just, uh, you know, like you, I've met a lot of different kind of people. And one of the things is that everybody has some kind of a philosophy of life. Everybody's got some religion, something they think. We all try to do that. Here's, here's, here's why I'm here today, okay? Here's the thing. Except I really wanted to hear, I knew this was coming with the orchestra and the band and the singers, and I, I, I wasn't going to miss that. There are two related historical events that are epic, monumental, and they won't fit under either one of those blankets of either religion or philosophy. That can't can't hold it. Here's what they are. The death of Jesus of Nazareth, who proclaimed himself to be the Son of God. His death. And then this literal and bodily resurrection from the grave three days later. Never to die again. Those two events. What most people who are, are not Christians, I think, do uh, in, in, in regards to things like this and in the moments like that is they just kind of think about it like, like you think about UFOs. <laughs> you know, you think, well, maybe. I don't, do, you believe in, do you believe there are people in other? I don't know. There might be. There's a lot of movies about it, a lot of books. It, it, it makes it look pretty real. I don't know. But what's that to me? What, what, at the end of the day, what, what does it mean? What does it matter? And just kind of hold, you know, you can kind of hold these things at arm's length. But the Bible says that there's no question at all about these two linked events and what they mean. The Bible says that what they mean are at the very heart, the very center of the Christian faith. Folks, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is what we're all about. That's it. Everything, everything, everything is wrapped up. Those two events together. These two events are not just historical curiosities, something bizarre, something kind of weird that happened and, and it's recorded. But it's just a, a wonder, you know, it's kind of an amazing thing, but it doesn't have explanation. And you know what? These two events are, is, that's when God, it's like breaking and entering into our world. It's as if our life was this, this river, this polluted river, just toxic with sin and with guilt and with shame. And God is on the bank of that river, and he can see us drowning in our sin. And he can see the life that we... And he risks everything, his own life, to dive into our life and to save us. That's when Jesus came to planet Earth. And he dove in to rescue. And the word we're going to see today in this text we're about to read it, in 1 Corinthians 15, it literally means you know, that he saved us. It literally means rescued, that he rescued us. 
This demands meaning. It demands a response. When my friends began to talk to me about the claims of Christ, and, and I had considered that earlier in my life, and I had thought about that, and it's like I kind of believed it, but I realized there's this place of belief. You know, I believe this. And we think, I'm good because I believe it sort of at an intellectual level or at this kind of a pseudo you know. And, and he says, no, 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 no. I'm asking you to believe it so that you step into it, so that you embrace that. And that created this crisis in my life. Because just, he doesn't call us out to believe, yeah, I kind of, I'll check the boxes now. What do I do next? Is that it? Am I good? No, you're not good. It's to em- embrace that. If someone tells you how sure they are of their uh, atheism or Buddhism or Judaism or whatever ism, you know, that, that, that they, they've got, you've got a right to step up. You've got a right to say, yes, I, I understand that, but what about the deity of Jesus? What about the death of Christ? You've got to deal with that. Without an explanation, without any kind of meaning for someone just to say, oh, I, I think this, I believe, I believe that, that philosophy, that's not consistent with reality. It's like you're not being fair with yourself. So this week and next week, we're going to study what one famous writer, J.B. Phillips, said is the most important chapter in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. An amazing uh, piece of scripture that really defines who we are and what we're about. Paul is about to remind us of, of Christianity's the absolute essence of what it is. And this is what he was taught as a, as a brand new Christian. This is what he says he received, what the early church had received. This is the earliest creed of the church. It's like Christianity 101. Your first day of class, you sit down, you get out your notes. and this is, this is the first thing you write. And the first words of the baby believer, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. This is who we are. This is the bottom line of God's good news to us. Stripped of, uh, of meaning, the historical fact says that Jesus of Nazareth was crucified on a Roman cross. Verse 3 tells us what that means, that that Christ, God's Messiah, died for our sins on that cross. Jesus of Nazareth was Messiah. He was Christ, and he was this delivering king that God had promised Israel long ago and again and again. But instead of liberating Israel from the Romans, which is kind of what everybody expected, they took it to like a political level and left it there. Instead of uh, setting everybody free, he was killed. He was stone cold dead. Dead. He was buried the way that dead people are always buried. 
But the significance is that he died as a willing sacrifice. you got to get that. That he was the Lamb of God. He was not a helpless victim. You know, he, he died to enable God to justly, to forgive us in a, in a just way, to make us safe, to give us this loving relationship with himself as our Heavenly Father. And the Bible says twice in that one little passage, this happened according to scriptures. And what that means is really significant because you wouldn't just add that in. It was actually a, a very specific phrase that would communicate, okay, this is in sync with the Old Testament. This is in the flow. This is with, has the same tone as the Old Testament. Everything makes sense now. It says everything you've read, the literature, the poetry, the, the wisdom, the prophecies, all of that comes together in, in this fact, in this place, in Jesus. He said it, it's, it's according to scriptures. And that's one way that we know uh, that this event really means something. The Bible tells us that Jesus' death uh, was not a senseless murder. It was not just this outrageous killing event uh, that needs an explanation or that we want or we try to redeem something from it. No, it was, it was very purposeful. It was God's requirement. It was God's requirement of a sacrifice for sin that's all throughout the Old Testament from the beginning to the end. There's this explicit promise of Isaiah 53. This is a powerful verse from the prophet. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's a great hope. That's our great hope, folks, in Christianity. That's why this is different. God sent his son, the Messiah, to die for our sins so that we don't have to die for our sins. And this second event that, that's linked to it, 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 it demands meaning, that, that God is raising Christ, his Messiah, from the dead. That on the third day after he died, he arose. And this little word raised is in the perfect tense, which is significant because it means he was raised at one time in, in history, once and for all, and the effects of that continue on and on and on throughout eternity. It's the new state of affairs. He was raised, and he's not going to die again. It was not said. This wasn't use of Lazarus. Remember who died, but then later died again. This event, it, it was beyond what anybody thought of when, when they would talk with one another and look at the prophecies and kind of study through this and think, okay, when we get this... Messiah. We get this conquering, triumphant king. He's going to deliver his people. Nobody got it. No, no one ever really imagined that his or her uh, deliverer would have the nerve, the audacity to take on death. I mean, they would have been so happy. Could we defeat the Babylonians? That'll, you're Messiah. Could we defeat the Romans? The Roman Empire, the most powerful political machine ever to be on the face of it, could we overcome them? If you can do that, if you can lead us into that kind of a situation, then we know you're Messiah. God was like, are you kidding? This is not about politics. This is not about national freedom. This is about you. So here's what I'm going to overcome. Death. What's our worst enemy? 
What's our biggest fear? What's the end of the road? Where does it all stop? Death. He said, how about if I overcome that? Not the Babylonians, not the Romans, but death. That was an enemy that no one dreamed that God's Messiah could and would conquer. The proof that Jesus really died is that he was buried. That's one of the main reasons why his burial is so often mentioned in this text. Now, you may have read it kind of like me so much that it just kind of flows into it. He died and was buried. He died and was buried. Well, yeah, but have you ever thought about why that's constantly in Scripture? That's just mentioned again and again and again because it's significant. The proof that Jesus rose again is in this multitude of witnesses. This is an amazing thing to me. There's people who actually saw, talked with, and ate with the risen Christ in a variety of situations and settings and, and, and circumstances. And this group was not a group that was leaning into it. This was not people, you know, Paul mentions, and I circled this yesterday over and over in my notes, 500 people at one time. Five, let that sink in for a minute, 500 people at one time. And these aren't folks who are going, oh, I hope it's going to be Jesus. I hope he's alive. I think that's him. Yeah, it looks like him. Let's believe it's him. Okay, I think it's him. Do you? Yeah, I think it is. It wasn't like that. No, they were actually backing off from it. These were deniers. These were doubters. These were people who were saying, I don't think so. These were people like Paul who hated Jesus who hated the idea that Christianity could be real. In fact, he was pouring all of his energies into destroying the early church. He was the Gestapo. He was like the Nazi of the first century. These people weren't any more gullible than you and I. They were backing away from it. This is like if you said, hey, Dan, I've got tickets to this concert. I want to take you to it because it is absolutely going to knock you out. You're going to love this. This is going to be the best, most awesome concert you've ever been to and I, I want you to wear your cool tunic shirt and, and you know I want you to it's just going to be so good and you're going to love this concert okay and I get all excited I go okay who are we going to see Justin Bieber oh hey you know when is that is that a Thursday night because oh I no I can't that you know my dog I got this I got this thing I I would be going, oh, and, and I was, if that hurts your feelings, and I just saw a girl run out of the room crying, I'm so sorry. No, I'm kidding. I would just say, hey, th that's so cool, but you know what? It's not my thing. Not my thing. Uh, and, and I live in fear of hearing a Justin Bieber song and liking it. But, um, <laughs> but what if you were to talk me into it? And what if I were to go? And what if we walked back out at the end? What if we walked out of Thompson Bowling at the end of the night? I went, whoa. Dude, look, I bought all his CDs. I got his T-shirt. That, uh, that was amazing. I loved it. You'd go, whoa. I mean, you'd be tweeting. You'd be, Dan likes Justin Bieber. Okay, you got 500 people who cannot stand. They, they hate the name of Jesus. And they all say, uh, yeah, that was him. We kind of wished it wasn't. We wish there was something we could tell you. But we don't All we can say is 500 people. And isn't it weird how people doubt that? They're going, well, I don't know about the resurrection of Jesus, 
It was only seen by 500 people. I mean, if you go into a court, you know, somebody sees you do something, and you're trying to say, I didn't do it. Yeah, you did it. Yeah, you did it. And you get to court, and all of a sudden, they, they produce two witnesses. We've got two people who saw you do it. You're done. You're busted. You've got two people who saw you do it. We have 500 people. It's like, how many witnesses? You swear to tell the truth? Yeah. Okay, number 442. Okay, could you swear to tell the truth? Yes, I do. You know, I don't want to, but yeah, that was him. You know, there are more witnesses and there's more credible evidence in, with, with Scripture, with written you know, documents, more complete, dating further back, more accurate. There's more archaeological evidence. There's more everything for the death and the resurrection of Jesus than almost any historical fact that ever happened. I mean, we believe 300 Spartans faced off with the Persians, right? You know, it's like 10 times more evidence that this happened than that happened. But I've never heard anybody say, I don't believe in Spartans. I don't think there was such thing as Persians. That story, everybody just accepts it. Do you know, it's like 10 times more evidence that this happened than that Shakespeare ever wrote one word. And all of the sonnets and all of the poems and the plays, everything he did, I've never gone up to my English teacher and said, you know, I'm just having a real struggle because I don't believe in Shakespeare. I never even thought not to believe in Shakespeare. I mean, I just, I guess he was real, but there's not that much evidence for it. There's more evidence. This is, this is just an amazing thing. that People will walk backwards to not to embrace this. You know how radical the resurrection was. For one thing, it's not merely a resuscitation, okay? And you've probably heard guys like me say that before, but it wasn't anything like those accounts that we read from time to time where people die. And I'm sorry, if, if this has happened to you, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, okay? I'm sorry, I'm skeptical. You know, they, they see a light, they're always in a tunnel, it's always a light, and, and then I came, uh, snapped back to life, and oh, here's what I saw and everything. I, may, I don't know, but it, it wasn't one of those kind of things. Those people are still mortal, and they're still dying, and they die again. <laughs> if I can put it this way, this was not a mere miracle. And I know there's no such thing as a mere miracle. You know, when you think about, uh, like, Jesus walking on water, multiplying loaves and fish, healing someone, mere miracles. <laughs> That's your everyday run-of-the-mill miracle. But I guess what I'm trying to say, though, is, is, is the resurrection, it's in a class all by itself. Uh, this is a miracle that changed the course of human history. This changed humanity, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not back to his old life. Jesus, oh, you're back! And everything, and the, no. It's a new kind of life. And this is... This is the most significant single event in the history of the world. I won't back off that. This is the single most important event in the history of the world. The resurrection of Jesus. 
it overcame the greatest limitation on humans. Death. We've overcome so many things in so many ways. We've never gotten past that one. In, in raising Jesus to new life, God changed the entire meaning of human existence. He completely, utterly, totally redefined the meaning of life. To me, this is like the eighth day of creation. This is like the recreation of the race of humanity. This is like a race of people who are no longer mortals, but immortals. Lots of people believe in life after death. I, every now and then I run into somebody and say, I think when we die, we just die, and that's it, we're over. But most of the people I talk to, most of the people from most cultures, say, yeah, I think something, I think something keeps happening. I, I think we continue on. And that's where you get all these different ideas. I've been to a lot of American funerals. I've been to a couple of funerals in other places, and it's the same thing. This is especially true in a Riley funeral, okay? This phrase, this little thing, but at least he's in a better place. Now, I don't want to make that sound trite because oftentimes it's true. But it's just what we say. Where, do we, where did you get that? Why do you think that? There was a young man. He was 16 years old. He was in my youth group at a church in Memphis. We used to have, you know, we, we had a basketball court and a little store close to where the bus let off for school. And, and sometimes students would gather there after school and we'd, we'd shoot baskets and we'd, we'd um, you know, go down and get something to eat and just kind of hang out for a little while and then everybody would go home. And this guy lived several miles from there, so I, I would give him a ride sometimes. It was on my way too. It was kind of on the route I'd go home. But one day, I sat in his, his we sat in his, in my car and he's about to get out. He had this long gravel driveway. I'll never forget this. And I, and, I, and I sat next to him. I said, wait, wait, wait. Before you get out, I said, let's talk about this. Because I knew he, his family was kind of religious, but not really. They were from a whole different tradition. And, and so we talked for a little while about the claims of Jesus. And at the end of that time, I said, wouldn't you like to receive Christ as your Savior? I said, you know this is real. I'll never forget him saying, you know what? I'm just not done yet. I'm not finished with my life. I don't want to do that. I know I've got to stop this and start that. And I'm just not ready. I know it's, tr I think it's true, but I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to do it. I'm not going to do it. Maybe later. I'll never forget to that. Maybe later. And I, and, I, and I remember trying to kind of coax him, you know, talking him into it and say, you know, yeah, listen. And he had heard my testimony. He goes, well, it's easy for you because you've already had your fun. I thought, Fun? Is that how you say it? Seriously? That's what you think? I'll never forget that conversation. I let him out, went home. Two weeks later, to the day, two weeks later, he was killed in a car accident at about 3 o'clock in the morning. I remember the police calling me. I knew some of them. It was a smaller part, you know, town outside of Memphis. And I, and I went over there, and it was, just, it was alcohol. and It was, just, it was an awful thing everywhere. It was just a, a terrible, terrible situation. And having to go with them, this family. You want your heart broken. You have to go to, and I know some of you have had to do this and tell these people, hey, your son, he's, he's not there. And a couple of days later, we had this funeral. Now, I remember after the funeral and after the service, going over to the house to see the family. And I'm walking up to the house, and the mother came to the front door. It had one of those storm doors. And opened that door, and she just burst into tears. And she said, at least we know he's in a better place. I just began to cry, and I just thought, 
God, I don't know. Maybe in his last dying moments he received Christ. I'll just hold on to that. But what, what I knew was that he said no. And what I knew is that he was killed in a, in, a, in a manner that's so consistent with his lifestyle and the whole reasons that he didn't want to receive Christ. Now, it's not a particular sin that's going to do that, but it's this, this idea, at least he's in a better place. I have something shocking. To, to This may be news for some of you. For many people who die, it is not a better place. It is a much worse place. A place that defies imagination, that is so awful, you can't even think of it. This means several things. First, Jesus' resurrection proves that this resurrection is for a new kind of life. It's possible. It's possible. Before this, we kind of wondered, am I in? Am I out? Can I make it? Is there anything? This tells us. Now we have a concrete reason for hope. Secondly, the resurrection directly ties any hope of living again to Jesus. And I got, I got to hold on to that statement. Eternal life happens this way or it doesn't happen. And I know there's a different theology that's growing right now that says, oh, you've got to embrace other things. And tolerance has been turned around to mean something different. Where, well, you're not being tolerant if you say that. No, I'm not being a Christian if I don't say that. This is what we believe, that Jesus didn't die just to provide. No, we give you another option. We're going to go through that. God's going to come to the earth. He's going to die, and God's going to send his own son just to give you another, another way. Another, no, it's the way. It's the way. Third, since the resurrection of Jesus is absolutely linked with the death of Christ for our sins, we have to take that part of the good news equally seriously. The resurrection vindicates Jesus' death, that he was the Christ. He was dying for our sins. This was very specific. It was very purposeful. It wasn't a random death. He must, in fact, be the Savior. He must, in fact, be the Lord that he claimed to be. And that means that we need him. That we need him alone to forgive our sins. He must give us eternal life. You've got to put your faith in him. It's all about Jesus. Jesus' resurrection tells us what a resurrected person is actually like. You ever wondered, I wonder what we'll be like? And Well, there it is. There's really a body that we live in again. We don't become angels, okay? One of my conversations recently, somebody said, oh, I know, and my, my mom and, dying, and she's an angel. I thought, no, you don't turn into angels or misty spirits or... Something, uh, Scooby-Doo thing, I don't know. And, and there's no reincarnation. That's just made up, okay? I don't tell you how many movies, how many people believe. It doesn't make it true. There, there's no such thing as reincarnation. People put their faith in Jesus. And they will be raised like Jesus, and they'll have bodies like Jesus. We also learned that resurrection, it's not just a course of things. I saw a movie once, and everybody died. You know, like they all went somewhere. Just immediately, they, they went to heaven. Because that's just, and somebody, one of the characters said, well, that's just a natural, this is not Mother Nature. This is not, it's a powerful act of God's will and grace. And it's only given to those who trust him for it. It's not given to others. And finally, there's this, that all people who experience life after death, everybody does, in a manner of speaking. 
The Bible says so. Christ's resurrection doesn't accomplish that. It's just part of our God-given humanity. What Christ's resurrection offers us is not the existence of life after death, but life after death. A life with God. A life that's no longer toxic with all our sin and the sorrow and the shame and the guilt. Life without all the weeds. Life without all the woundedness. Without Jesus, it's more like people just die forever. It isn't, it, it isn't really immortality, but like this everlasting mortality. It, it, it's like with Jesus, we live forever. And the bonus of all, all of this is that this resurrection life starts up the moment that you put your faith in Christ. Death becomes this gateway, becomes this, this passage. Hey, do you, you remember how Paul said that he was the last of these eyewitnesses to see Jesus? And he marvels at that, not only because, you know, he was the last person to say, I saw Jesus last, I'm the last one to see him ascend into heaven, but because he was about the last person on the face of the earth who deserved to see Jesus. This word worthy means competent or uh, able to or should be, you know, it shouldn't be, given my history, Given the things I've done, given the guy I, uh, I shouldn't be that guy. I shouldn't be the one to get to see Jesus. Paul is this persecutor, this murderer of Christians. In fact, the word in the text in 1 Corinthians 15, it said, when he said, I persecuted the church, it's a word that means hunted. I don't know, that verse, it just changed it for me. I hunted the church. It was his passion. It's what he got up every day got ready, he got dressed, and he went out to hunt down Christians. That's what he lived for. He hated Jesus. I probably shouldn't get to be the one to see Jesus. I shouldn't be the 13th, you know, apostle. I shouldn't be that guy. But for me, I love it because this is proof that no one is outside of the reach of God's grace. You know, I look at a guy like Paul, and I think, Paul can get saved. Paul can know God. I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I mean, I didn't hunt people down. I mean, and I, so he concludes. So Paul, it's this great honor. It's this holy honor uh, that he has now to serve him. And here's what he concludes with in verse 11. He says, so then, whether it was I or they, and he meant any of these other witnesses, and he said, oh, by the way, some of those people have died because several years have passed since this has happened, but most of them are still alive, and if you want to go interview them, if you want to go talk to them, they'll tell you the same thing. And it's random people all over the board from all different kinds of backgrounds, lives, religions, culture. You know, he said just, just 500 of them, some, some are gone, but you just want to talk to them one at a time and go, what did you see? Did you really? How many would it take? He said, so any of these witnesses, and I love this phrase, this, I just like triple underlined, and I wrote it in my journal, this is what we preach. And this is what you believed. Hey, if you're a follower of Jesus, don't forget this, because this is the heart of your faith. This is why, and I got to tell you, you know, I came to several crossroads in my life, and one of those was what to do, you know, and, and I... And there's nothing wrong with being a motivational speaker. I think some of those guys are helpful. Some of them have some good things to do. But you know what God said? That's not for you. You got to preach. <laughs> I don't have a lot. This is all I got. 
this is what I preach because this is all I have to say. It's the gospel of Jesus. And so that's why. That's why this is it. This is, this is the only resource, the only place I can, I can speak from. This is the heart of our faith. You know, I was reading the other day about this guy. His name is Paul P. Gordon. Uh, it's just about three years ago. And it, was, it was at this time, it was a week after Easter, actually, that um, he wrote a letter to all of his employees at the Gordon Food Services. Uh, that's this big, sprawling company. I think it's in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, he was, everybody loved him. He was one of those employers that you want to have, you know, that was a good guy. But he was dying of cancer. And in the letter, he thanked all the people for their good work and for the support they had shown him and his family. It was sort of his uh, Joe DiMaggio kind of, I mean, it was this, it was this uh, Lou Gehrig, I mean, kind of a moment. It was just this goodbye. And he concluded the letter with this paragraph. And I just want to read this paragraph to you. Check this out. It says, while the outlook of my time here on earth is not long, please rest assured that my outlook for eternity is secure. I do not say that because of anything I've achieved from an earthly perspective. The only reason I can speak so confidently is because of God's grace. The Bible says that we all fall short of God's standards, and I'm only made right with God because of the penalty that belongs to me was paid by Jesus. That is what the celebration this last Sunday is all about. Jesus conquered sin and death and the grave when he rose from the dead. It is my desire... And it is my prayer that each of you would come to experience that grace and have the same assurance of where you will spend eternity. Paul Gordon went to be with Jesus on May 6th, 2008. Does your way of looking at the world, your religion, your philosophy of life, does it take into account these two events the death and the resurrection of Jesus for our sins would you like to have God alive and loving in your life in your heart it was on a Easter Sunday night at the persistence of friends that I attended a church that day and Several conversations, events had led up to this moment where I just found myself going down at the front of these steps in this little church where I was in North Memphis and saying, my first prayer, some of you heard this so many times, you think, oh, please don't tell that. But my, I didn't know what to say. I realized I got down there and I thought, well, now what do I do? <laughs> I don't know. I've seen people come down here, but what happens when you're here? And I kept waiting for something mystical, you know, something, you know, that happened to me. When nothing did, I just prayed this simple prayer. Lord, would you make me like Mike? He was my friend who was a follower of Jesus, and something happened in him. He just, he changed. He just just became a different person in front of my eyes. And I I wanted that something he had, that peace and that, that direction, that purpose. I just said, God, would you just make me like Mike? Something began to happen in my life. It's been a lot of Easter's since then, but I have never gotten over that. That can happen for you today. I would love to share this moment with you. 
This is what we're going to do. I'm going to stand right here. And if you're at that place where you say, maybe I've been to church a, a thousand times, or maybe I've never been. Maybe I know it, but I've never embraced it. I've always just kind of held it at a, at a distance. You can't do that. This is real. This is true. And it was. It is. And it demands a response. You've either got to say no or yes. Yes. If you want to say yes to Jesus this morning, I'm, I'm going to be right here. Our other pastors will be here. We have counselors. We'd love to talk with you how you can take that first step of inviting Christ into your life, of embracing him. It's not a religion. It's, it's not a, a thing. It's, it's him. It's just a relationship with him. Would you stand, please? Let me just pray for you. Let me just pray a prayer of blessing over this time. Father, I want to thank you for the powerful thing that you did. This breaking and entering act of loving kindness. This unbelievable, outrageous moment of love that you gave when you allowed your son to come to die for our sins. When you, when you raised him up from the dead to be alive forevermore with the hope that now we can be too. Father, I know there are some people here who are distant from that idea. Some are struggling with that. Some sitting on the fence. Some have embraced it but realize they've taken it for granted. Would you bring us to a place of peace right now? Father, I pray that there would be some in this room who would step over the line and just say, yes. Yes, I'm done with myself. I'm done with religions. I'm done with philosophies. I'm tired of all that. And I know I just need Jesus. Give us the grace and the heart and the courage to say yes to you today. I pray it for your glory and for our salvation. Only in his name. Once again, and I'm full of praise once again. 
Once again I look upon the cross where you died. I'm humbled by your mercy. I'm broken inside. Once again I thank you. Once again I pour out my life. And once again I look upon the cross where you died. I'm humbled by your mercy and I'm broken inside. Once again I thank you. Once again I pour out my life. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross, my friend. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross, my friend. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross, my friend. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross, my friend. Once again, I look upon the cross where you died. I'm humbled by your mercy and I'm broken inside. Once again, I thank you. Once again, I pour out my life. message here that ought to touch our hearts this morning. And I pray, Father, that you'll just touch the hearts with your spirit, and people will turn and come unto you. If you want a good life, you need Jesus. And the only way you can get him is completely turn your life over to him. When I got down on my knees at 16 years old, and from then on, I know that I belong to Jesus not done everything right and you'll not do everything right but if you completely turn your heart and life over to Jesus you can go through this life without fear no fear God cares for each and every one of us if we belong to him and I wish you'd take this message to your heart and yield your life into his hand if there's anything any of us can do to help you come to Dan or me or anybody else we'll tell you how to just love Jesus that's all And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a great day. Enjoy your week. God bless you.